Hello and welcome to the show. This is Coach JT Tapius, and today we're going to be speaking about a title that is uh, an interesting title, and the title is This Sin Will Destroy Your Family. I was once speaking with a friend, a good friend of mine, and the infamous word sin came up. I was explaining to my friend that we are all natural born sinners because we have inherited the DNA of Adam and Eve. My friend, of course, turned around in a very curious manner and he asked, he said, uh, at what age did we start sinning? And I repeated that we are born sinners. In other words, even before we are born, we are already infected with sin from our ancestors, Adam and Eve. And so, of course, he strongly disagreed with me. And of course, my natural question to him was, when we're first born, when we're babies, when we're kids, are we taught to behave or misbehave? To which he responded that we are taught to behave. And I think I made my point pretty, pretty clear there with my friend. He wasn't too convinced. And I think the word sin really stung uh, when I said it. And I, I get it. it. It can be, it can sound judgmental, but what I was saying wasn't a judgment. It was, it's a biblical truth that I was sharing with my friend. Now, before I go on, I think it's important for me to explain specifically what the doctrine of original sin states. The doctrine of original sin says that we have inherited the sinful nature of Adam and Eve in the garden. And that as a byproduct of that sin, every single baby born is infected with the sin, with the sin nature, which causes rebellion and disobedience to God. As Christians, we believe that salvation is a sovereign act from God, and it's an individual occurrence from person to person, and it happens by grace, faith, in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to come into a relationship with God except through grace, which is unmerited favor. He puts faith in our heart to believe in that sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, from a cognitive perspective, the problem is perpetuated, I believe, when that already sinful newborn baby is brought into a family that has not overcome the negative patterns, habits, behaviors of those uh, of, of, of that family, right? And what, what happens is it, it's continued to be passed down generation to generation because humans, we are communal learners. In other words, we learn from each other. Essentially, those behavior patterns and ways of thinking limit us in our growth and cause and causes harm. Examples of such are patterns that include anger, resentment, pride, unforgiveness, envy, jealousy, rebellion, amongst others. But the problem doesn't end there. These patterns cause, cause what we call childhood trauma, right? <clears throat> Which extends into a person's adult life. And these vehicles that were intended to bring about momentary relief bring about disease and addiction, such as drugs, alcohol, smoking, emotional eating, binge eating, and that's just to mention a few. These addictions intend to, these sort of addictions and these crutches that we, we seek, uh, the, the, the purpose there is to alleviate the discomfort in our hearts. But ultimately, these crutches lead people into a miserable existence and possibly even into an early death. The Bible says that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. One of the easiest ways the devil brings about this malevolent plan is to disguise this venom as something good or pleasurable. Does this make sense? Food, right, being one of those things. And so, of course, in this case, I'm going to speak about the sin of overindulgence and gluttony. 
When something is overtly bad, it carries a stigma with it, right? Things such as pornography, drug addiction, alcoholism, gambling have obvious stigmas in our society. People naturally tend to either avoid these things or to cover them up as much as possible. However, the concept of sin, as discussed in Christianity, does not imply that the newborn baby, that newborn babies are guilty of personal sin. Instead, what it suggests is that all humans inherit a tainted nature with a proclivity to sinful conduct. And that conduct is in need of regeneration, right? We are in need of a new heart. The belief finds its biblical basis in the passages of uh, Genesis 3, the story of the expulsion of the the garden, uh, where Adam and Eve were basically kicked out of the garden because of rebellion against God, disobedience towards God. Psalms 51.5 says that I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? Paul's epistles in Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 12 through 21 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Once again, we have all inherited this sinful nature. The doctrine of original sin began to emerge in the third century, but it was fully formed in the writings of Augustine Hippo who was the first author to use the phrase original sin. Subsequently, the Council of Courage and Orange brought theological speculation about original sin into the official lexicon of the church. Once again, from a cognitive perspective, it's true that negative patterns and behaviors can be passed down through generations, and individuals may struggle with the consequences of their upbringing. Childhood trauma and negative learned behaviors can lead to various psychological and emotional issues, as well as harmful addictions. Ultimately, it's important to recognize that the complexities of human nature and the impact of both personal choices and inherited tendencies in shaping individuals and families. Understanding the concept of sin in its theological context and acknowledging the psychological aspects of learned behavior can contribute to a deeper understanding of human behavior and personal growth. Food, on the other hand... (laughs) It's something that is natural to us, right? We need it to survive. We need food to survive. It's part of our livelihood, and therefore it's almost never seen as something bad. Even when someone overindulges or a person is visibly overweight, right? We don't really see those things as being sinful. No one thinks of that person as if they are exteriorizing their sin, or as if that person has a lack of control or discipline. Instead, there are lots of self-deprecating uh, jokes that the person will use to mitigate the discomfort and normalize their sin. For example, I don't have a six-pack, I have a keg. Uh, I'm in shape, in round shape, etc. The jokes go on and on and on, and it's just very normal in our society to joke about things like this. You don't hear people joking about alcoholism or drug addiction or any of these things. Even the Bible warns us about the sin of gluttony and overindulgence. I truly, truly believe that the Christian crack is food. Our church gatherings are plagued with all types of high-fat, high-carbohydrate, high-sugary desserts. These gatherings are intended to bring believers together to bond and to fellowship, but they go in the complete opposite direction of what this group of people that claim to have the fruits of the Spirit, right, particularly that uh, fruit of self-control, would actually do. There's a famous audio on the internet by a 
a pastor called Paul Harvey, and it dates back to 1965, and it's titled, If I Were the Devil. Here's my own idea and my, my own version of what I would do if I were the devil. If I were the devil, I would lure pastors into not preaching about gluttony and overindulgence. I would make church gatherings a gluttonous banquet. I would convince believers that the stewardship of the temple of the Holy Spirit is not as important. Simply by minimizing its importance, I would preach about all the overt sins and rarely talk about health and lifestyle that glorifies and pleases the Lord. I would warn my congregates about fixating on their physical being and focusing more on the spiritual aspects of life. I would completely neglect the importance of self-care. I would convince Christians that fitness and proper nutrition are not part of their spiritual disciplines. In other words, if I were the devil, I would just keep right on doing what I am doing. My friend, I hope that this brought conviction to you. Uh, this is not a judgment. This is not a condemnation. This is a word from a fellow Christian, a believer who is passionate about the gospel, is passionate about seeing people thrive. Is passionate, I'm passionate about seeing people truly, truly live their fullest potential. And I believe that in order to do that, we must engage our mind, our body, and of course, our spirit. You can't do one without the other. And as much as we want to be spiritual beings, we are in material form. We are in a body and we are to steward this body, this temple of the Holy Spirit in a way that glorifies and pleases the Lord. And that means making sure that we are making the best decisions when it comes to food, when it comes to the way we, we act towards others, to the way we speak, the way we carry ourselves. And all these aspects are spiritual disciplines. I think oftentimes we see believers that walk through the doors of the church and they're very holy while they're there. And once they walk out, it's almost like it's hard to distinguish a non-believer from a believer. My question to you is, why is that the case? Why aren't we living these, these Christian principles in every single aspect of our lives, especially bringing these principles, these concepts into our dining table, into our breakfast table, into our lunch table? There's a reason we pray over food before we eat, and that is because it is a spiritual discipline. My friend, my name is Coach J.T. Tapius. I hope you have enjoyed this audio. More importantly, I hope you do something with it. Leave your comments in the section down below, and I hope you enjoy the show. My name is J.T. Tapius with an idol called food. Talk to you guys soon. Ciao, ciao.